You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. And we're here weathering the storm. We happen to be indoors in a beautiful uh, rainy 40 degree May morning. With potential snow tonight. So, yes, yes. Feel like I'm back in Syracuse. Yeah. So, hell is frozen over with pandemic, and hell is technically freezing over on Earth. So, there we go. We have a guest today. He'll be on with us in a second, Glenn Minerly, SVP of and head of music entertainment and esports at Momentum Worldwide. But before we do that, Dr. Stavon, should we give thanks? Let's give thanks again. Hands together, heads bowed, eyes closed. Give ah, thanks. Glenn's on. Yes. yes. Oh, Glenn, you're on. Yes. How are you? All right. Good. How are you, Glenn? Good. Thank you. Can we do our final blurb before we? You got it. All right. Good. Dr. Stavon, so we are giving thanks. Yes. The, uh, Thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. When you say hyphen over Zoom, it doesn't sound as... as I know it doesn't. It doesn't have the uh, presence. Zoom does not pick up on the... No, not very well. The microphone does. We have to lean in. I know, I know. Lean in. That's that's very Facebook of you. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And we want to give thanks to, uh, and our thanks go out to Christine Vey, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped many professionals all over the world manage their investments, plan out for their retirement. When somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, you want to think about the Forefront Group and go to christine.com. Oi. They at Forefront.com. Oi off for savings. Leave that last oi off for savings. Wayne Patterson University ranked again. It's official. Billboard magazine has ranked us as one of the top music business programs in the United States of America. Hashtag us. Which is, which is a double because U.S., United States, and us meaning... Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, right, okay. That's pretty cool. Go to uh, Music Biz 101 WP, sign up for a newsletter. 
and also check out what's going on. We have an awesome, awesome, awesome guest today. We assume, I've spoken with Glenn once on the phone. He may turn out to be a dud. This may turn out to be worst news. I don't know. I'm not going to commit one way or the other. Glenn, is this going to be good or is this going to be kind of... It'll be fantastic, I'll tell you. That's exciting. The Jerseyite. Three people in Jersey talking. That's right. That's right. We are in South Orange. I'm in South Orange, New Jersey today, where it's uh, 50 degrees, and um, we're anxiously awaiting the summer here because I've, I've had it with the cold. Let's go around. Yeah, it's terrible. And you <laughs> exactly. Keep, uh, you're exaggerating at 50, actually. I think. It's I know. Terrible. So anyway, I've been, uh, was doing a bit of reading about momentum, and I think the part of the industry that people know exists because they, of course, seen all this brand partnership in the last five to 10 years. But uh, I think a little, you know, uh, still a little in the dark about how does it work. Sure. So maybe we should start with just the, the approach that Momentum takes in sure. making these partnerships. Sure. So um, as you guys know, there's a, there are a ton of brands right now that really use music as a way to reach uh, both uh, existing customers and prospects. And um, for every, every brand, it's really a different approach and it's really based on what they're trying to accomplish and their objectives. So um, oftentimes they uh, you know, bring on an agency like Momentum and a person like myself to help them navigate the entertainment world and figure out their, what their approach is going to be and, 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 and how music and entertainment can help solve their problems. So, in our world, oftentimes it starts with a brief, a brand coming to us telling you what they want to accomplish. Is it something like a new product launch? Is it something like um, trying to drive engagement with existing customers? Is it something like trying to impact new prospects? Um, and then really identifying what their budget is. Um, and uh, there are a lot of the other different elements, like are there existing sponsorship properties in sports? that they have or, or um, that, that they we're able to leverage and insert music into. Um, and then figuring out once we have those objectives and we have the budget and we figure out um, how much we have to work with, then it's figuring, finding artists that make sense to um, uh, bring that idea to life and, and developing creative that uh, helps get um, their message across. So in an agency like Momentum, it's a pretty sizable agency. We have about 250 people in our New York office alone, and um, we're in different offices all around the world. Um, so in an office like mine, I've got strategists that work across all verticals, sports, music, entertainment, uh, fashion, etc. I've got creatives who are the idea folks who help come up with ideas um, uh, for the campaign and, and what's going to make sense. We have subject matter experts like myself in music, and we have uh, I have a counterpart in sports, um, and then we have producers or uh, live events folks who help bring these ideas to life. Um, whether that be to fabricate um, a festival activation, sixty by sixty festival activation, or to produce a live concert, whatever that might be, we have those producers in place to help bring that to life. So you said earlier that then the brand will contact us. So how did you guys get into the position? that the brand will contact you. I'm sorry, repeat it, how do we get into what? Into that position, that the brand will contact you. Sure. So um, we're fortunate to have a lot of retainers in place, right? In the agency world, there's basically two models to work with. One is project work, where a brand will come to you or you pitch for a brand uh, for a specific project, whatever that budget might be. Um, and 
uh, it's you're more fortunate if you have retainer work, which is a brand like Verizon or American Express agrees that work they're going to work with us exclusively in that space, and um, they'll set budgets with us each year based on what they want to do, and we know that we have that revenue or we have those dollars set aside throughout the year, we can we can hire accordingly. So for Momentum, an agency like Momentum, we're fortunate enough to have the majority of our work be uh, retainer driven. So we have clients like American Express, like Verizon, Chevy, Chevron, a, um, Patron and others, SAP, um, that are all on retainer throughout the year. And we know pretty much what we're going to be doing with them throughout the year. So I've known that I've wanted to do this since I was 14 years old. <laughs> um, I started out, my story is, is a fun one. I started out as a bar mitzvah DJ on Long Island. And uh, I toured up and down the East Coast doing bar mitzvahs and weddings all throughout high school on the weekends. School would be out at three o'clock. I was in a van with like five guys going to Boston or to Delaware or to Maryland um, doing bar mitzvah and weddings. And there would be like a DJ, two MCs and dancers. And the dancers were all the guys or the girls who were off touring cycle with Bobby Brown, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson. So they were all industry dancers and they had industry contacts. And I was just a kid. And when I wasn't doing those bar mitzvahs, I befriended these folks and I was on the guest list at all the New York City nightclubs. And I was way too young to be on those guest lists, 15, 16 years old. So I started hanging out with these people and meeting music industry people. And I realized really early on that I wanted to do this. So when I went to college and I graduated from college, um, I went into management right away. Um, I started working with Billy Joel's team, and uh, they had some other artists, Linda Etter, uh, Kenny Loggins, and others. And that was like a crash course into the industry. Um, and that was like the late 90s. And um, at that time, what is now Live Nation was coming together as a series of mergers and acquisitions. And they had this little small management division at that time, which I worked on. It was only four of us. Um, and it didn't fit into the business model and we saw the writing on the wall that we were all going to get fired. So I had a Broadway artist, uh, Linda Etter, that was on Atlantic Records and I had made some relationships, created some relationships in the Broadway world. And at the time, SFX, which is now Live Nation, had a Broadway division and through those, knowing I was going to get canned, I jumped ship just to get a job and I jumped over to the Broadway side. And I ended up working on that side, doing touring Broadway for um, six years, seven years. Mm -hmm. And um, from there, my current position at Momentum, they called me up. I was in Texas at the time because that's where Live Nation was headquartered at the time in Houston. And uh, I got this job and I jumped at it. Uh, and my wife and I moved back to New York. And uh, I've been in, with Momentum now uh, in this role for about 15 years. It's right. an eternity in the agency world, let me tell you. All right. But it all starts with bar mitzvahs. That's my story. <laughs> when I was growing up, I remember um, I was a big Who fan. And in 19, not, 1982, the Who did their first of like 67 farewell tours. Sure. The idea was it was sponsored by Bud Light. Okay. And basically all Bud Light did, they gave some money. And at uh, Who concerts, they would just have signage around. And sure. Not really, you know, things have grown since then. Can you Absolutely. Talk about more about the activations and, and the ex experiences that you work on now versus compared to the way the traditional sponsorship model used to be? Sure. 
So sponsorship in music is still an incredibly important part of it. And um, for these artists um, where, you know, especially the middle tier artists, um, there's not a lot of revenue coming through recorded music as we know, right? Although it's getting better as streaming starts to scale. Um, so they rely on the touring and the ticket sales to, to make any money. And from there, uh, sponsorship plays a huge role uh, in offsetting production costs. So in the past, as you alluded to, it used to be uh, reduced to signage. Um, now you see very little of that, although there's still some level of signage on there. Um, this, but sponsorship doesn't just exist at a tour level now. Sponsorship exists across the product cycle. So from album release through the tour, through the year. Um, so I'll give you some examples um, with Verizon. What we've done in the last few years is um, we've really worked with artists uh, throughout their product cycle. So I'll take Sean Mendez as an example last year, what we did. So Sean uh, had released his new album. He was looking for um, uh, a way to connect better with his fans in a, in a, in a way that was going to keep the, um, the spotlight on his, new, on his album uh, after the album had released. Um, so we, spo we, we sponsored his tour, right? So we had, uh, uh, there was really no signage at the tour. What it was limited to was a hundred person section, a hundred ticket section very close to the side of the stage that was uh, reserved for Verizon's uh, rewards program, their loyalty program. We um, did a private concert uh, at an underplay venue so he could sell out any 15 to 20,000 uh, seat venue in, Amer in America. We um, put him in New York at Hammerstein Ballroom, which is like a 2,000 cap room. And uh, the kids went nuts, right? Be able to see Sean in that environment was incredible for them. Uh, and that had huge, it was only for Verizon customers, so that had huge value to the, to really to the parents who could get tickets for their kids and bring them to see Sean in that environment. And then what we did is we created a, a fan experience on steroids uh, called This Is Sean. And what we did was um, we created, in, in New York City, <clears throat> we used a, a good deal of square footage to take you through his creative process um, from how he uh, wrote the album in Malibu, California, to we recreated the recording studio completely visually, uh, allowing people to come in and um, sing um, uh, different, different songs of Sean with all these cameras on you and you would get content of yourself singing. And then we created a, a room that was a 360 video room with a piano in the middle that was his piano. And it, it was a complete um, uh, replica of his B stage on tour. And you got the feeling of what, at all, what it's like to have 18,000 fans singing the songs back to you. Where was this? Where, 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 was, where were the replicas at the Hammerstein Ballroom or? No, 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 this was in the city down in, um, um, on, on the west side, you know, like uh, over by the meatpacking district. And we did it in August. So it was open for like three or four days. Okay. And it was a huge success. But we talk about like what the value of sponsorship is to a brand like Verizon in this case, right? So we're able to associate with an artist like Sean which is incredibly important. With all brands, it's about creating a brand for me, right? So uh, if you're a transactional brand that doesn't have any feeling behind it, you know, you're always, it, it always will come down to money. Like, uh, how do I find a, rep, a replacement for this service that's cheaper? But when you're creating a brand for me, 
It's about um, a brand that's more than just the transaction. This is a brand I can relate to. And um, I'm more likely to stay with a brand like Verizon or switch to a brand like Verizon when they uh, have values that I believe in and when they, when they are associated with things that I believe in. It's like creating a lifestyle brand. Um, so with um, uh, giving access to, to tour tickets and giving access to the private show tickets, that's a huge value, perceived value to Verizon customers. And when you're doing, be able to uh, create this This Is Sean experience, it impacted the thousands of people that were able to come to the, to the experience, but also all the social content that we created that scaled really around the world was uh, super valuable to the brand um, to uh, create that, that brand for me approach. Um, so it's, you know, when it's, it's come a long way from Bud Light hanging signage on the side of the, you know, the, the speaker scrims on the stage um, on the Who tour to, to this now, uh, where it's really less about signage and what else we can create around it. And he worked with artist services too. Like I think he was working with Warner Artist Services, uh, you know, for his external stuff. Yeah, you were going to say something, Dave? I had a different question. I know he had been with Warner Music Artist Services for like ticketing and for merch, but then uh, he went to Universal, so he left. Yeah, he's, um, he's with Bravado on, from a merch standpoint, so we were, really worked with Bravado and the in Universal um, from a merch standpoint to create bespoke merch for our experience and to sell it in that store. So as people would come through the This Is Sean experience, they would very much like Disney World. After the ride is over, you end up in the gift shop. It was the same thing. We created a gift shop and all the uh, fans loved the opportunity to buy that exclusive merch there. Mm -hmm. So how does Verizon know this worked? What are, what are the... Because I told them it would work. <laughs> Pardon me? Because I, I told them it would work. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. All they need to do is listen to you. Believe me, it's going to be great. And then it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, how do you know it's going to work? I, I mean, look, there's, you, you, there's uh, with anything, there's a level of risk course um with but it's it's all it's all you know calculated risk um uh, we build on our past experiences and we look at what we've done in the past and 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 we can use those as, as proof points and case studies and then we can build on them look showing other examples of success throughout the industry so when we're in the pitch uh environment and when we're in pitch mode we're often t coming up with ideas and then justifying them right showing this is our big creative idea and this is why we think it'll work and this mm -hmm. brand over here did something similar and this artist has this kind of social reach that's going to um you know help us amplify the message um and with anything we do it's really and this has really been the evolution of my business it's about measurement so when i started this 15 years ago measurement was an afterthought it was a clicker um that we had 2,000 people come through but now it's so much more advanced than that. We have a whole team that does analytics and reporting um, and is able to show the social impact, social sentiment, um, uh, the, the, the numbers of people that come through. Now it's, it's to the point where we can put, we, we can tap into people's cell phones and understand how much time they spent uh, around an activation. And then we can use that the next time to say, well, this element worked really well, this element didn't. So it, it's incredibly helpful as we build ideas. Did you ever have a brand that um, coming to you and you have the campaign and then they have an artist that they want that you think just is not the right artist? Yes. 
And um, what do you do? So with the, <laughs> what I call that is the um, the client being the cultural barometer. It happens all the time, right? So they'll come in and they'll you'll, they'll we'll say. Uh, oh, I saw this artist on Dancing with the Stars last night and my daughter loved her. We're going to use her. And it's like, wait, this is, there's a science to this. You know, let's, let's figure out what's right for the campaign. Let's give you a, a series of artists that would make sense. Let's look at them objectively and see why they would work and why they wouldn't work. Um, but oftentimes they don't care. And they're like, no, my daughter loves that artist. Go get that artist. So it, it happens and it's their money and we have to do that. But um, you know, often, but the, the majority of my clients um, recognize that uh, we have an expertise in this and, and they allow us to do it properly and, and to uh, suggest artists that make sense for the activation. Right. All right. So um, what you just said in terms of, okay, uh, I call you, I say, my daughter loves this, this guy. She loves him. You're going to use him. Right? Right? Is that what I sound like? <laughs> That's what I said. I'm the I'm your client. Oh, okay. I got all the money. I'm Mr. Tough Guy until I get fired. Yeah. I'm calling you asking for a recommendation somewhere else. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I, I'm bringing that up, and so you're saying, hold on, let's look. We have this. Let's look at a choice at a at a menu of artists. Yeah. So, do you have an ongoing? Again, you you have all these different people on your team, which we'll go through in a little bit. Um, sure. Somebody actively. Uh, scoring uh, artists and people of different categories and genres and, and keeping that information so that you can do. type up um, the baby or something and see, sure. you know, uh, all the different category uh, things that he hits that make sense to you and your clients. Sure. So I maintain relationships uh, with everybody in the industry uh, and I'm constantly having a dialogue with record labels, with agents, with concert promoters. So we know who's going to have, new albums coming out who's going to be on who's going to have new tours going on sale um you know what projects what philanthropies what interests these artists have so half of my job is just talking to agents all day long and record labels all day long and just gathering that information knowing that drake has got a new album coming out and he's got this creative idea in mind and he needs money for it right so um and then when I keep that stuff cataloged in my head and my team has all that information. We're constantly having notes on that. So when we do get briefs that involve talent, we have that information at the ready. So uh, as you talk about choosing artists, it's not always, it's not just about what artist is most popular. It's about what artist uh, hits the objectives. So if we're looking for um, an artist that uh, is, you know, every artist has a cycle, which I'm sure you teach your, your, your students all the time. There's, there's a product cycle and you can have the biggest artists in the world like Madonna that right now is off cycle isn't going to necessarily move the needle for you because all the PR machine is not turned on for Madonna right now. But when Madonna comes out with an album, when Madonna comes out with a, a, a tour, the, the PR machine is turned on and she's more valuable to a brand. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge part of it. So when they're on cycle, you want to make sure that those are the artists we're working with. Um, so when you, when you ask, like when, an, when a client comes to me with a, uh, a, like acting as the cultural barometer and says, my daughter loves this artist, can we, let's, let's move forward with that, that artist. That's our position, to, that's our turn, turn to come in and say, these are the reasons why it doesn't work. She's not on cycle. She's not hitting the demographic you're going after. Look at her, her last uh, tour and this is how many tickets she sold. 
Look at her socials. This is her social reach. Look at her social engagement. This is her social engagement. Now, look at these artists that we suggest. Um, this is why they work better. And at that point, if she still wants to go with the artist her daughter loves, so be it. There's only so much we can do. But we make sure we get that in writing. And if that activation fails and they blame us, we just say, look, I told you not to do <laughs> <laughs> And what's interesting is cycles have changed as well, especially in pop, because yeah. it's no longer necessarily an album cycle of put out my album, tour around for a year, and you don't hear from me for 18 months. Now it's artists are putting out a song every six weeks, you know, album. And then like Jonas Brothers, good example, put out their album um, getting close to a year ago. But since then, they've still put out more work in it, yeah. that yeah. weren't on the album. So that's sort of changing, I would think, what you're doing when it comes yeah. to it makes it a little bit more complicated in some ways, but then again, uh, oftentimes these artists are more accessible throughout the year. But you know, um, there's still that's still the, in pop that is still the exception, right? Uh, there still is a, some level of a traditional cycle in pop. As you look at EDM, there is no cycle, right? These these guys are constantly. There's really no albums most of the time. They're constantly releasing singles. They're touring. There's no rhyme or reason to the touring. It's all private jets with them in a laptop, and they're able to go to this place, this place, this place. They don't have to follow a, a line in a tour. With hip-hop artists, because of features, they're constantly on. Um, but, you know, the, the uh, there is an album cycle to it. There is a touring cycle to it. So it's a little bit different. Um, but it is still important to recognize when an artist is going to be when the machine is going to be turned on for that artist and, and when they're going to be um, quiet. So what are you doing now with the virus? So it's been very difficult. Um, so a couple things, right? So a lot of what I do is based on the physical experience. Of course, digital content is a major element, but at the core, the majority of what I do is on the physical experience. And right now those experiences aren't happening. So um, we're doing two things right now. We're helping brands figure out, what to do in the COVID environment, right? Um, so how can they still have a message in market? How can they still associate with music and with artists during COVID? Um, that's a major element of what I'm doing right now. And then the other part is how are we going to help brands uh, come back after COVID is over, after this window of isolation is over? So there's a lot of um, execution from a digital content standpoint right now that we're, we're doing. Uh, Verizon and the Pay It Forward Live campaign is a great case study, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but also trying to figure out um, uh, as soon as this thing is over, how can brands jump right back in? Um, and uh, and it's challenging because we just don't know, and nobody knows what that date is going to be when when this is all going to open up. Mm -hmm. um, so have your campaigns then? Um, you've been has a lot of stuff been put on hold. And they're saying, yeah. put this off, so, we'll come back when, because we, we don't have revenue coming in to support this, which, which we thought we were going to have. Are you dealing with that situation? Yeah, so, so um, Verizon, for example, um, the, they, their strategy going into 2020 um, was to spend a lot of time and effort on festivals, music festivals, and to create really cool activation to impact the local communities with music festivals. And we're talking dozens and dozens of these festivals. Um, and those festivals were supposed to run February, uh, all through the spring, all through the summer, and then through the fall season. While well, all of those festivals now have shifted completely to the fall, and quite honestly, 
we don't know if they're going to happen in the fall. Chances are they all get canceled. But right now, you know, you have a lot of those festivals that are sitting in the fall. So uh, you have a brand who plans on having uh, me uh, messaging and market all throughout the year around festivals. And now they can't do that. So what do they do? Um, additionally, they sponsor uh, tours. So uh, they had a, a two tours, uh, three tours. Uh, that were ready to go. One was uh, Billie Eilish that did three dates, and we we lost all. So we lost all of those those touring dates. We lost all of those festival dates. We needed to be able to get into market quickly with a message and an association with music. We realized we were limited to this live stream. Live streams in the past historically don't have a lot of success in moving the needle. Video on demand or VOD does, right? But we, 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 we took a chance quickly to create this series where we would be able to do live streams from the artist's living room in a perspective that you really haven't seen before. Um, and we were able to put a lot of money behind it to promote it. So we could create a platform where in an environment when everything was a one-off. Uh, artists doing live streams from their house was happening quickly, but there wasn't a platform. They would ha it would happen and then you know somebody else would do it. But this was a platform that we were able to create. But we quickly realized, and what all brands were realizing is if you were going to be in market with a message, there had to be a philanthropic angle. And we realized that small, very early on, that small businesses were gonna be impacted incredibly, uh, uh, incredibly bad. It was gonna be an incredibly bad experience for small businesses uh, throughout this COVID environment. So we said, let's make sure that whatever we do is in support of small businesses. And we were lucky that that message resonated with artists and artists were looking for a voice throughout all this because their voice was limited to their own social channel. All promotion was gone, late night TV, uh, early morning TV. There was no opportunity for these artists to, to have a voice in what was going on in, 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 um, in, the, you know, in the public zeitgeist right now. So we quickly got Dave Matthews on board. Um, we got One Republic on board, Alicia Keys, um, Luke Bryan, Billie Eilish, Janelle Monet, and the series is going to continue throughout the year. So uh, throughout the next month at least. Right. Um, and uh, it's been an incredible success. It's probably been the most successful series or con digital content we've seen come out of the industry during this window. Um, and it really has to do with creating that cadence and having that strong philanthropic angle and approach that these artists are uh, are willing to associate with. Mm -hmm. So with this series, you mentioned, you know, we quickly got Billie Eilish and I know Phineas, her brother was part of that as well. Yep. Are you talk, who are you speaking with? Are you speaking with the manager, the label, both? Yeah. Talk about so, our discussions and who you're going to first and then that whole roundabout to get somebody to say yes. It's always different and it's all based on relationships. This is a relationship business. Mm -hmm. So, I have relationships with managers, agents, record labels, promoters, but um, a lot of times these people are selling the same thing, right? So you've got at a record label, you have a brand partnership lead that's selling brand partnerships for all of that record labels um, roster. At talent agencies, th those same artists all have agents, right? W William Morris, CAA, Paradigm, UTA, whatever that might be. And those those agencies have brand partnership directors. Now all of those artists have managers and some of those are management conglomerates like Rock Nation. Those, those uh, entities have brand partnership directors. 
Um, and then there's third party ones that I don't really deal with, but that uh, individual artists are hired, hiring outside support and consultants to sell brand partnerships for them. So all these people are really selling the same thing and they're all great people and I have relationships with all of them. So a lot of it comes out to, comes back to, you know, who brought me that artist first or who continues to be a champion for that artist and, and pitch me on that artist. Or who do I, you know, who, who have I not worked with in a while that I really need to maintain that relationship? Or who has been a great partner to me? So it's, 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 it's really a, a lot of different variables that are involved, but every different um, grief and experience and opportunity is different for me. It, and, and it's really either the label, the agent, uh, or the manager directly. It's all different. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that, that sorry, last us think about that, um, that you do have, you mentioned uh, Rock Nation or Red Light, you know, yeah. which represent a, one company that represents, it could be hundreds of managers. And you have like William Morris, UTA, uh, all have somebody who does brand, CAA has somebody who does brand marketing for them. Um, do you ever see any headbutting where you have somebody from like a Red Light who's doing all this and somebody from the agency who's doing this, maybe they're both, do they, are they communicating or is sometimes they both pitching you the same thing at the same time? You're like, Oh, it's funny. I just talked to this person about Luke Bryan 10 minutes ago. You know, they're always, they're always, um, uh, selling the same thing at the same time. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, um, everybody plays nicely, but there are some times when, um, you know, uh, they're jockeying for position and because, look, everybody has numbers and they're bonus based on the numbers they bring in. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's business, it's part of it, but I've got great relationships with these folks. This whole industry is based on relationships. You know, um, who do you know? Um, how long have you been doing this? How, uh, what's your reputation working with these people? And, um, and, and how good are you from a creative standpoint and coming up with ideas that are going to stick? So a, a situation I can imagine, and this is not something that you would decide, but I, let's say I work for Red Light and uh, mm-hmm. I'm pitching you my artist, I can, Dave Matthews, for example, you know, sure. I'm Corn Capshaw, but Corn's too big. But anyway, I'm, and he's, I don't know who he's represented by, let's say it's CAA. Um, I'm trying to almost get to you before CAA does, because if CAA gets it, they get a commission. Um, versus, and also the management commission. Yes and, yes and no. I mean, you're, it, uh-huh. it, it's not as, as cut and dry as that. I mean, again, it's, these are relationships where, for instance, if I'm on the phone, you know, I did this deal with Janelle Monet for Verizon for last week's stream. And uh, Janelle Monet is uh, represented by Paradigm. So while I'm talking to the agent about Janelle Monet, through natural conversation of the 50 times I'm on the phone with that agent in preparing for this Janelle Monet activity, um, we were talking about other artists. And remember, I also have, you know, Mondelez and American Express and all these other brands. So I'm, it, oftentimes my conversation may start with a discussion about Verizon, but we'll quickly pivot to, oh, I'm trying to figure out what to do for summer 2021 uh, for, for Mondelez, you know, for um, Nabisco. And we'll we'll start talking about other artists. And the next thing you know, you had a conversation and you might've mentioned uh, the product cycle and the planning for 15 different artists on that call. And you really just started the discussion about Janelle Monet. And then I'm having a similar discussion with 
Atlantic Records that Janelle Monet is on. And, you know, I didn't do that deal with Atlantic Records. And, it, and, and then it just comes up and it comes up. So you're constantly cataloging information about what these artists are doing and what their plans are and who's and getting ideas of who would be right for a certain brief. And then, you know, those, those artists are top of mind when a different brief comes up. So yeah. it's not really as cut and dry as that. It's a constant dialogue with everybody and um, just making sure that those relationships, you're, you're constantly throwing different agents, agents and managers a bone. So you're able to maintain those relationships, but yes, it's about balance. It's about balance, right? You want to throw, managers and agents of home but at the end of the day it's all about your client and making sure you're finding the best artist for that brief because if you're not doing right by the client there is no uh, work tomorrow so it all comes down to the client so for our audience we've been talking basically about the um the pluses for the client and the pluses for the brand what are the pluses for the artist yeah and how do you have convinced sometimes you have to convince an artist that the yeah. bisco is right for them Sure. It's a great question. It's the most important question we deal with, right? Because how I counsel my uh, clients is it's not about the check. There's always going to be a check to the artist. It's about the value proposition, right? So um, what, what, how do we work with an artist that's going to get something out of this more than just the check? And oftentimes there's artists that, you know, everybody wants the money, but the money is secondary. It's about how this is going to help them. So you take the, this is Sean, uh, with Sean Mendez, um, they they really liked the idea that they were going to be able to fund this creative vision they had about impacting about about showing the pulling back the curtain and showing the creative process to their fans. And he's not going to have money to do that. Like that would have to come out of his own pocket, and that's cost a fortune to pull that together. So coming with partnering with a brand that helps him bring that vision to life was super important for him. Um, oftentimes it's about, uh, we talk about their product cycle and as they release an album, the most important thing in releasing an album is week one sales. That's all they care about week one sales. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to help promote week one sales? Uh, going back a few years, but with American express, we created this platform called unstaged, which essentially was a digital content platform. We took a, did a live performance with an artist and a, a Hollywood director we put them together and the Hollywood director would direct and produce this concert right so you had um, like David Lynch and Duran Duran right live from LA and we would stream it so we'd have like 2,000 people there and then we would stream it, it was all ha would happen on the first week of sales so the first couple times we did it it was a hard sell for these artists to come on board but then what the industry quickly realized is it was a huge platform that the brand was paying for that was shining a light on that artist during week one sales. And it was helping all these artists get to number one. So we did Coldplay and a bull ring in Barcelona or rather Madrid. And, and we did Duran Duran and we did John Legend and we did Arcade Fire and we did about 13 or 15 of these things. But by the end, all the artists were lining up to do it because it was a great promotion for their week one sales. So, that was all about value proposition and it wasn't about the check they were getting. Mm -hmm. That's a, a major element of when we're doing brand deals. So sometimes you have an artist like, um, say they want Bruce and I know Bruce is very tight about what he'll, yeah. you know, what he'll represent, what he won't represent. Yeah. Uh, and they say, no, you've got it. You, you guys are in the business. You got to get Bruce. No, we want Bruce. Yeah. 
Well, in that case, Bruce is very difficult to get. <laughs> but in that case, it's um, Bruce doesn't need money, right? And uh, he doesn't, you know, he comes out with new albums, but he's not really necessarily uh, concerned about being the number one album, right? He's, he, he knows he's selling to his base. So for Bruce, if you're really looking to get an artist like Springsteen, it's probably around philanthropy, right? Understanding what his causes are and seeing how a brand can step up and support that philanthropy. Right. Um, and then even then it's difficult, but, you know, Bruce is incredibly philanthropic. So uh, that, that's probably your best angle in with Bruce. And how about somebody that's too expensive, like the, uh, like the Rolling Stones? Yeah. Sometimes money is a major factor. And um, sometimes there's artists that, you know, at, this, at the stage that the Stones are in, they care about philanthropy or a check. Bruce doesn't care about the check. The Stones care about the check. So um, it's, you know, sometimes you just can't get those acts because your budgets don't allow for it. But um, we've done a lot with the Stones. We've, in the past, the Stones have been great, and, um, especially with American Express. Um, there's ways to do it. And, um, you know, they're, they're incredibly brand friendly. They'll work with you. You mentioned earlier in our discussion all these different positions that are in your department. Yeah. So I want to go name them because you kind of threw them all out. And if you could just sort of briefly explain uh, what they do and how sure. people got get into those positions. Because I think we're all used to uh, record labels. We're all used to, you know, uh, agencies, management, but we're not used to what, you know, your area. So I think this would be pretty cool for people listening to understand, oh, wow, there's that yeah. there. So you mentioned strategists. So yeah. strategists do, who do they report to? How do they become a strategist? Sure. And again, many of the, most of these positions are not music industry specific positions. They're generalist, right? So uh, right. they work across everything. So the strategists for us have been incredibly important, especially over my tenure. Uh, we really didn't have them and they weren't, you know, they started out as planners on the media side where, you know, that, that's what they were called. But in, in an experiential and sponsorship world, they're called strategists. And um, they really break it down for us as they look at the brief and they look at what the client is asking for, helping identify what the audience is, right? Um, who, how that audience behaves, what that audience's need states are, what they're looking for, um, and uh, what our strategic approach should be to reach that audience, right? That's really the core of what they're doing. They do a lot, they use research a lot to, to bring that to life. So you take Verizon and, and music festivals. They told us they wanted to be in music festivals. Now, you could take it even further back, and we told them to be in music festivals. And But eventually when we figured out that music festivals needed to be where we were at, how are we going to show up at music festivals? The strategists will say, well, this is the demographic that is showing up at these music festivals. Mm -hmm. And look at how that changes and shifts as you go from a governor's ball in New York to a Kaboo in San Diego, which is going to skew older and have a very different de demographic to a, um, um, you know, to a Coachella or, or Stagecoach, right? Very different demographics. And they'll help us break that down. Here are the need states. This is what these folks are looking for. They're looking for, uh, at festivals, they're looking for utility, like they want to be able to charge their phones. Uh, they're looking for uh, protection from the sun when they've been out in the sun for eight hours a day and they need a break. Uh, they're looking for access to the artist. They're looking for new perspectives on the artist. They're looking for some social currency, so something that they can put up on social media that makes them more popular or look cooler, right? So they'll be able to break all that down for us. 
And then the creatives take that and they say, all right, this is great. <clears throat> Let's work together to figure out what this is going to be, what our approach is going to be. And, come, and maybe they'll figure out, all right, our best way of doing this is to take, create a 60 by 60 footprint at the festival and to, um, um, I don't know, showcase uh, you know, the power of the, the 5G technology uh, at, this show, uh, at this footprint through um, different tactics and trying not to give away all of the things we're trying to do at festival. Uh, and, and, and then somebody like me will come in and I'll, as a, as a subject matter expert, I'll tell the strategist, yes, you're right about these audiences, but as somebody who, by the nature of my job, is at like 15 to 20 festivals a year, you know, I, I, I can tell you that that is true, or I could tell you that, yeah, it's probably not exactly true. This demographic doesn't respond that way. Look at how they responded to this Bud Light activation at Firefly. Look at how they responded to the State Farm activation at um, Coachella. And, 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 and I could show, I give them examples. And then when the creatives come up with ideas, we're going to do this with this artist and we're going to put the artist in a golf cart. And we're going to go and with a fan and we're going to drive all around the Coachella grounds with the artist. I can come in as a subject matter expert and say, that artist isn't going to do that. Or uh, that artist is going to, you know, that's off brand for this artist. Um, so so I, I help ground them in reality as to what the audience is really going to respond to and what the artist, what the artist is going to be willing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Account execs are next because I know yeah. your LinkedIn a couple months ago at least you were throwing some uh, some you know uh, posts out saying you know we're looking for account execs so explain yeah. that sure so on the account side or we call them business leaders they're focused on uh, the client they're focused on uh, managing that relationship with the client being the on the front lines with the client figuring out really understanding the client's business. Um, outside of the brief and bigger than the brief, understanding what Verizon's focuses are. Verizon might be focused on their loyalty program. They might be focused on 5G. They might be focused on philanthropy and really understanding that business and then uh, helping bridge the gap between um, the, the client, the client's ask, and our strategists and creatives and, and live event producers. So they play an incredibly important role in keeping this all together. Um, they oftentimes serve the role of project manager, uh, which keeping everybody on budget, keeping everybody on, on time, um, making sure deliverables are met, presenting those deliverables, those decks and, and those designs to the client, getting the approval, uh, <clears throat> helping convince the client that this is the right approach and, uh, um, you know, pushing those, uh, those approaches and those designs forward. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Are account execs uh, paid base and commission because are they also going out and trying to find new new customers for you guys? I hate to use the word customers, but new new clients. Clients. Um, so every agency is different, and our agency is big enough that we have a new business um, division. Yeah. Right. Okay. So when you we look at new business as organic business, which is clients we already have. But business, you know, looking at different business divisions and different projects that we weren't originally assigned to that we could potentially um, convince that client to hire us for. That's that's oftentimes the account executives or the account side's responsibility. And then we have new clients or new new. And those are oftentimes the responsibility of the new business division. Um, okay. 
but like, you know, I get pulled in on both in my world because um, if we're pitching a, a new brand and we realize like, like Subway sandwiches or something like that, and they realize that um, they have uh, music and sports uh, legacy and history in the past, they'll bring me in to help show from a capability standpoint what we can do. Next is subject matter experts. Now look, this is like a pretty rare position, right? So there's not, that, that's what I do. And there's not a lot of people, there are not a lot of agencies that employ full-time music folks or full-time sports folks. But so it's, it's a tough gig to get in the sense that, you know, there aren't that many gigs like that. But uh, and essentially in my world, and I've explained, I, I'm able to come in with an incredible focus on music and entertainment and esports be able to serve as that uh, voice of reason as to what's gonna what's gonna fly and what's not with the talent and with the um, the artists that we're we're going after. Mm -hmm. Producers, that was the last one you would mention. Yeah. So producers are incredibly valuable for us. Um, so once a creative concept comes to be, we're gonna do a private show with Sean Mendez. We're going to do a sixty by sixty footprint um, at at the festival. We're going to uh, have an experience at the Super Bowl, whatever that is. Uh, once that design is, is built, or even while, while it's being designed, these live event producers are the ones who are going to construct it, are going to work with local vendors uh, to fabricate them and to bring them to life. So when you go to the Super Bowl, and you see all those consumer experiences with all those different brands, uh, there's a live events producer that's behind that, making sure those designs become reality. You're global. So yeah. let's talk about that a little bit. Is it client-based? The client will say we're looking just US and or just a certain region, just North America, or this is international, these yeah. seven countries. Talk about that. It depends on the client. American uh -huh. Express is, is global. Uh, we work with them out of our London office, out of our Australian offices. Um, obviously out of our U.S. offices, Canadian offices. Um, Verizon is a domestic product. It's only available in the U.S., so we're limited to uh, what we do in New York. Um, some brands uh, are global brands, but they only engage us in regions. So we'll have um, a brand <clears throat> in just the U.K. or in just in Europe, and we would love to have them in the U.S., but they use a different agency in the U.S. Mm. Um, I have a question and that is, um, is it more difficult or has it become fairly easy to get work on a client side to get work with hip hop artists? Great question. So I've worked with a ton of hip hop artists and you, it's all dependent on the brand and what they're, um, what they're willing to, to do. Right. So, uh, you know, what, when you decide to work with a hip hop artist, you're doing so because you're trying to reach a certain demographic and you, you appreciate what they bring to the table, which is, um, in general, an edginess, right? Um, they're going to be controversial, but that controversy is going to get them incredible um, uh, audience following and press, um, more so than some, some people that might be a little bit more conservative, right? Mm -hmm. So as a brand, you have to come in and it's what's your appetite for risk? Some of these hip hop artists are totally fine and there's no concern, but uh, others you have, to, you know, you have to go into it with your eyes wide open. Are you willing to take a risk if they say something controversial on um, social media? Are you willing to take a risk uh, if 
some if they have a, 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 a an arrest record or a history um, where they've you know been in prison or something like that. Like it all comes up, um, and for every every brand, it's different. Um, financial services brands can be a little bit more conservative. Alcohol brands can be a little bit more aggressive with it. So mm -hmm. it it um, it just depends on the on the client and what their appetite for risk is. Right. And the followings are usually pretty loyal. I mean, they usually have very incredibly loyal. And that's, that's really the appeal for a brand. You know, you look right. at somebody like Cardi B. Cardi B has not only been incredibly successful from a music sales standpoint, but she's created an incredibly engaged audience on social. And as a brand, if you can tap into that in an authentic way, it's a, it's a big win for you. Um, but she's also controversial. She sends, she says a lot of controversial things, um, and risque things on social media and that's fine for her as her own brand. But if you're going to come on, uh, and do business with her, you need to know what you're getting into. And I think that's why brands hire people like me and agencies like, like ours to help them navigate those waters and yeah. say, look, this is a great artist, but beware, this is what could happen. Right. Um, but what I tell my clients all the time is that's rock and roll. Like, you know, you, you, you want to work in music. There's always an element of risk. Um, uh, you know, especially in social media age where things come out all the time. Um, skeletons in the closet come out when you least expect it. You could take some of the most uh, safe and squeaky clean artists. And in the middle of a campaign, somebody will bring up something from when they were 15 years old and that they said on Facebook. Well, with that in mind, do you guys look back? Do you have the creatives or, or, or anybody going back and looking at, uh, we're going to work with, I can't think of anybody squeaky clean, but um, <laughs> Ramsey. Ariana you know, Grande. Ariana, Ariana Grande. Grande Ariana. Right. But will you go back 10 years on their socials to see if they yeah. racist or something, you know, that we would be totally anti who they are today? I want to say yes, but no, not, and we're not going back that far. I want to say yes, but we're not going back that far. Look, we do our homework. We'll know. We'll do. We'll definitely do searches on, uh, you know, associations with drugs, associations with crime, associations with gangs, associations with domestic violence. Like we'll definitely do searches there. Are we going? Are we going through ten years of social posts to see if they used, you know, if they made a. a, a I had a questionable post 10 years ago. No, we're not. It's just no time for that. Um, but we'll also make sure it's not just us. Like we'll do our homework. And then when we decide to use a, an artist, oftentimes that brand will do their own homework as well. Yeah. Uh, and their, their PR teams will vet them and uh, we'll identify, look, this person had a past arrest. Is What's the risk to our brand? And we'll say, it's all about risk reward. What's the risk? what's the reward and um for the most part brands are are, are getting better with that and, and are willing to take um the risk and, and work with people that might be a little controversial right now i get uh on the on a different side of that so you have a i'm gonna make it up so you're thinking about a hip-hop artist and then uh, nabisco putting out a new cookie yeah. yeah and the artist goes no i'm gonna put that cookie out on my brand and not with nabisco in other words that you're putting a little seed in their head and hip hop people are, are so much into their own brand 
Yeah. You ever get any questionable things like that? Um, you know what? I haven't. I haven't gotten that. I'll have where 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 we do get come into it is oftentimes, especially in hip hop, they're such they're so entrepreneurial, and they have investments in a lot of different things. Um, and oftentimes we'll want to work with an artist for a liquor brand or whatever. And, and they have to quickly decline because they have their own vodka or their own investment in a vodka. It's not necessarily as, as obvious as uh, Puffy and, and Syrah. It might be something that they just have an investment in um, and, and they can't work with that. Or um, they're currently working with venture capital firms to bring a product to life. So uh, we're, we're constantly against that. Yeah, the other thing with alcohol is we're constantly coming up with uh, artists, individual associations with uh, history with alcohol, whether they are alcoholics or they had family members that were alcoholics or they just in general don't want to push alcohol. So mm -hmm. that's on a case by case basis. Um, right. Um, so, yeah. Or if they have, you know, right. yeah. And if they have, if they have um, a, a DWI or something like that, like an, al an alcohol brand doesn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. It's, it's got to be careful. <laughs> When I was at Universal, we could do, there were certain artists who we were basically pre-cleared. We could do anything we wanted with these artists as long as it did not have to do with tobacco, alcohol, or like prophylactics, some sort yeah. of actual uh, type of thing. You know, otherwise we would then have to go to somebody and get permission, but lots of times we could just do stuff. Sure. Um, I know we're running Close to the uh, end yeah. of your time, uh, if we could just ask a couple more questions. Sure. The first is we, we did get a handful of tweets, but I want to ask one because we haven't talked about esports at all. And I think esports is really important. Um, yeah. And then we could from this go into kind of what you think about esports and the growth of that. And, and you can explain what this question means also. So okay. DMC Base 6, and he goes, as far as brands interested in esports, do you find they're interested in individual streamers, the brands, or more concerned with the leagues for professional play? Do brands want to work with an individual or? I think that's they're different price points. So no, the brands don't come in with an approach that you know we got to work with these streamers or we need to work with these leagues. They, especially in these early days, they're basically acknowledging that they need to be in the space. And they come to us to figure out what the best way to being in that space is. So just like music, we go through the same process and we figure out what their objectives are, what they're trying to achieve and what their budgets are. And we'll put together an approach that makes sense to, for them. Um, I'll say about esports, <clears throat> um, I'm incredibly excited about esports and the convergence of esports and music. I think there's incredible opportunities there. You see Travis Scott and Fortnite uh, next tomorrow. Tonight actually is uh, Dead Mouse and Fortnite. Uh, what you saw with Marshmallow and Fortnite. What you see with um, these game, these artists that game just organically and their um, affinity for the the gaming and for the individual uh, pro players. Um, there's great opportunities to bring those worlds together. The challenge with esports, even you know, outside of the COVID environment, the challenge with esports is there aren't enough events, physical events where there's butts in seats. If you want to work in music, you know, at any given time, an artist tour is hitting 30 arenas that has 15,000 people a night. That's a large scale. With esports, there's maybe eight to 10 conventions a year that do big numbers, but that's it. Um, you know, you do have one-off experiences, of course, 
that have a couple thousand people show up, but it's not, it's hard to get the scale from the physical experience standpoint that music can bring. Uh, I think that's going to change. I think we're going to see that grow and it's important for brands and, and, and our agency to be in this space now so that when that does, when we do see that shift, we're positioned well to help brands uh, navigate that space because um, it's going to be a huge opportunity. But right now, for the most part, that opportunity is very media driven for brands um, because the, the scale right now is on the digital content side for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in that. And um, uh, I can just say Syracuse University was up there for, uh, I have three degrees from there anyway. I lived there 25 years. I knew you were from Cornell, so you know the, sure. you know the weather. Um, yes. But they redid their entire um, recreation complex. Okay. And, and there's a room with about 20 stations for e-sports. So they had it installed for the for students yeah. to use. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. A lot of these universities now have um, e-sports as a varsity sport. Yeah. Um, which you can get a scholarship to play esports. <laughs> it's incredible. Incredible without working out either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the most out of shape athletes in the history of. Yeah, but yeah. but they're incredibly dedicated, right? And um, you see these oh, yeah. kids, um, you know, they go pro 19, 20 years old, sometimes earlier, and, and they join a team and they're uh, put into a house, these beautiful houses that'll house. Yeah. 20, 15, 20 of these kids, these players, and they have personal chefs and uh, private, private trainers and personal trainers and things. And they're expected, you know, they'll, all their room and board is covered, but they're expected to play 12 to 14 hours of that one game that they specialize in every yeah. day in that house. Yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, and then they fly to Timbuktu every, every weekend to, to compete. So, you know. Yeah. And I know getting back into tie into music, Scooter Braun, uh, yeah. who you know manages, we mentioned Aria Grande and, and Bieber, Bieber. Yeah. also is one of the owners now of, uh, I was going to say 300, Big big Machine, um, yeah. so is part owner of an esports team. I don't think the league, I think a team, but he's uh, doing very well. Great article. I don't know if you saw it in the New York Times about a month ago um, that covered either one or two different esports players and a league, I'm sorry, a team was courting him. Did he want to be on the team or did he want to stay solo? Because mm -hmm. each had its own benefits as sure. your own or right. with the team, a lot of merch benefits and, and bigger right. marketing ideas and the houses yeah. and, or doing it on your own. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a marketing machine behind the team, right? Yeah. So as you're trying to build your own brand. Um, <clears throat> oftentimes that marketing machine can help you, but there's a revenue sharing to it, right? Where if you're on your own, you're keeping all the revenue. Look, it's very similar to music, right? An independent artist compared to signing with a major label. Um, there's benefits to both. Right. Mm -hmm. Final thing for me, uh, uh, internships. If uh, students are interested and they want to somehow get into this business, are internships, Let's even during COVID era and with no COVID, um, what do you guys do? Because some of the things you mentioned, I'd be like, oh, interns could help out with that. Yeah, so we have intern programs each year. They uh, apply in December-ish um, and they come on board right after the school year, the end of June, and they last through August. This year, right. they're all canceled everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. Um, but I encourage everybody that's looking to get into the industry to uh, definitely get an internship. 
<clears throat> yeah, that, that's, that's like one, I was gonna say, that's one ripple effect that is not reflected in any economic report or because it's so intangible, the fact that it's not just your company, and I can only speak for entertainment, but it's gotta be across all multiple industries, this internships are not gonna happen this summer, which is going to stifle the growth of so many people. I think want to take that next step. Uh, I think it's 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 almost like I don't know it's a bigger discussion, but I think it is, yeah. I mean, but you understand where it's coming from because it just doesn't work. It's such a hands-on thing, and it doesn't work yeah. in a telecommuting environment. Um, and there's just no time to spend with these interns. So uh, in in this environment, so uh, it's a shame, and it's going to impact these kids, and it's going to impact um, you know the work the the workforce two years from now, three years from now, because they're gonna, there's gonna be less experience for these kids coming in. Right, so final thing then, so what would you do if you wanted to be proactive? Yeah. One of these kids who like, I don't have the internship, what would you do? Here's, here's what I tell all college kids that are looking to get into the industry. There's, there's one tool that they have that I didn't have and that's LinkedIn, right? Um, they should be reading Billboard Magazine like it's the Bible. They should be reading Ad Age and the, and the other trades uh, weekly. There's college subscriptions that are incredibly cheap uh, for college kids to get access to that. And uh, they should be networking. So every time they read an article and they see something about Scooter Braun or somebody from SP Projects and they list the name, if they find that person interesting, go on LinkedIn and follow them, right? Make, create, create a Rolodex of, uh, of LinkedIn uh, follows. And then create content. Take a position, read, become, uh, educated on different positions in music um, news and write 400 words, 500 words and post it on LinkedIn. And, um, and what you're doing is you're creating a body of work showing uh, thought leadership so that when you do, when it does come time to apply to a job, not only do you have a Rolodex of people that you can, you know, you can impact and you can ping, but you have some, uh, a body of work that you can show of this is how I think, and this is my this is the way I um, uh, think about what's going on in the music world today. So I think it's incredibly important. Great, that's perfect. Yeah. Well, Glenn, thank you very much for joining us on Music Biz One Hundred and One More. This was really good. I hope you got something out of it. Absolutely, I appreciate you guys having me. Okay, Thanks, thank you, guys. Glenn. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. That was really good. Oh yeah, he's really. I mean, that whole business is just a, an explosion business. I'm talking about the whole branding idea that now that every brand is hooked on connecting with some artist's uh, audience. And it's good there are people like him who are looking out. He's really sort of like a gatekeeper when you think about it. Cause oh, he's yeah. looking for the brand, he's looking out for the artist, he's looking out for all the stakeholders to make sure there's the right fit. And he's right. gonna be the guy who's gonna say, do not work with Nicki Minaj on yeah, no, it's, just it's, don't fit with who she is and, and therefore she would not fit with that brand. So there's no point in pushing either party to get involved in something that wouldn't make sense and could hurt both. So we should end this podcast and this radio show on Brave New Radio. We want to thank Ashley Veltner, who I guess this. last show yeah. with us. She was with us for about three years as our German engineer. She never understood a word we said but she was able to work knocks and push dials. Yeah, we didn't need a translator or anything. <laughs> Never did. She could just read our minds and right. look at our eyebrows and determine whether or not we approved of what she was doing. But she's graduating. Uh, graduation at William Patterson University would have taken place in another week or so, two weeks, I think. But uh, that's not 
happening due to Mr. COVID dropping by, but uh, Ashley's going to have a really good future. She had a job at Ticketmaster that is already gone because of all the layoffs and furloughs that they've done there. So uh, she's working on other things and uh, there's some really good opportunities that will be there for people as long as uh, right. they hold out for a bit. But we want to thank Ashley for all her time these last, I believe it's been three years. So Ashley Veltner did a tremendous job. Yes, and who's next? Uh, we've interviews with Terry Camp, who is an attorney, a litigation attorney. So we're working on him. Uh, David five foot one, or I think they call him five one Norman, who is a tour manager. He calls himself um, Mr. Tour Forensics, who can take care of every part of a tour on the back end, from accounting to tour management and everything in between. And so we're going to talk to him as well. Mm. We have uh, some other uh, ones that are either in the works or scheduled, and I just can't remember who they are. And right. we appreciate everybody who tweeted today. We read one full tweet. And we yeah. appreciate everybody who listened to this. We love you very much. And if you are in the room with us, we would embrace you. We would make a sandwich out of you. You'd be right in the middle. So, Dr. Stephen, thank you for Dr. Stephen Marconi for being here. And you too, my co-host, Professor David and there for you. And at the end of every show, we do not say hello. That's stupid. At the end of every show, you want to say Aretha Dirch. No. Oh, I should say that? that well, that's what you've been saying the last couple. No, I've been saying Aretha Dirch. over your Aretha Dirch. I don't I'll want to do I've been saying Aretha Stein. Uh, oh, Aretha Stein, which goes yeah. to Ashley Veltner and her German engineer. That's right. But I never say that. At the end of every show, I say, Aretha Stein. Friends.